you know, you know, the best thing about being freelance is when I've had a really bad night's sleep and I've woken up and I feel like shit and I'm like, I'm just going to go back to sleep. Hello and welcome to Knowing When to Quit. I'm Sarah Wyler. I'm a TEDx speaker, coach and creative multi-passionate. And I spent the last six years fascinated by our relationship to quitting. How to quit, when to quit, and if we do quit, how to have a beautiful ending. So today we're going to talk about a topic that is very close to my heart. Freelancing. Love it or hate it. It is part of many creative entrepreneurs' existence. And I've brought on the wonderful Anna Codreo-Rado, who is a journalist, podcaster and campaigner around business, culture, technology, but with a particular focus on working life. She's written for the New York Times, The Guardian, the BBC, and she's got a very successful substack called A-Mail, where she really gets into the emotional side of work. And she also has a podcast called Is This Working? with Tiffany Philippou, who's also been on this podcast. I've been working for myself for 10 years, and as people who follow me know, some of that has been really hard. There's a lot of anxiety around money, a lot of unpredictability, but also a lot of freedom and autonomy and creative freedom. So Anna and I are going to explore some of the pros and cons of being freelance, some of the tactics she's used to create stability, especially in the writing journalism industry. And she's got some great questions of what to think about if you're wanting to go freelance and how to check whether it is the right thing or whether there's another unmet need. So I hope you enjoy the episode and yeah, share it with anyone who you think it may resonate with. Thank you so much for having me. Oh my God, it's so nice to see you and chat to you. What are you up to at the moment? How are you introducing yourself at the moment? I'm so glad you framed the question like that because <laughs> I do change my answer. Uh, how am I introducing myself at the moment? I am a business and culture writer. Mm -hmm. um, I write about or write and explore how work makes us feel. Mm -hmm. um, and I do that for traditional journalistic outlets, but then I also do it in my newsletter, uh, which is on Substack, along with the rest of the world. Um, <laughs> you were one of the originals. <laughs> one of the originals. I, it, I um, have been on that platform basically as long as it has existed, which is five years. People think it's Substack is this. Anyway, this that's not part. That's not part of the intro. Anyway. Um, <laughs> And then I think also probably what's relevant to our conversation is I'm the author of a freelancing handbook, which is called You're the Business. And how is work making you feel right now? Uh, joyful, actually. Uh -huh. Joyful. Um, a bit frazzled because I'm, I'm quite busy. I hate saying I'm busy, but I am. I have just have a lot of projects on at the moment. Why do you but hate saying you're busy? Because it's people say they're busy as a badge of honor um and 
I often, when I hear people say they're busy, I'm my, the judgmental part of my brain fires up and just thinks, are you actually busy or are you just bad at time management? Um, <laughs> and, um, but yeah, I've just got, I've, I, ha- I have, um, I have lots of projects on. Also, I just, I really hate, I hate having a pack schedule. I, I've very recently, I've come to the term, I've come to terms with the fact that I'm a low energy person. I'm a homebody. I don't want to have a jam packed weekend full of so many activities. I only want to be doing one social event per weekend and zero during the week. <laughs> um, I just want a simple life. So I don't like being busy. It, it, I feel like it's a personal, I take it as a personal attack <laughs> on my nervous system. That's such good awareness though, because I bet that there's in a culture that says we need to pack our schedules, you must have had to really fight over the years for <laughs> claiming your your style. Yeah, and and you know, as you get older, it's mm, people are more understanding of wanting to slow down. Mm. But I've been like this actually for quite a while, and it was it was a problem in my early twenties that I just it, it's that thing of you. I felt like I couldn't keep up, but then actually now I've come to realize that, well, what was I trying to keep up with? Something a tempo that was actually never never right for me anyway. And I think that leads us beautifully into the question of freelancing and how people know whether it's the right thing. And could you just give an overview of you? when have you been kind of employed and when you've done freelancing? What's been your back and forth with that? So I think it's really helpful to ground any conversations that I have around freelancing in the fact that I am a journalist mm. and that freelancing is a very common it's it's very common in journalism to freelance and even when you are employed you're often freelancing as well because you might be pitching stories either to other departments within the newspaper that you work in or to other publications altogether so journalism freelancing really does go hand in hand more so perhaps than other than some other professions um but and so that's to say I technically started freelance journalism when I was at university. Mm. I didn't get paid, so it really was freelancing. <laughs> but I was pitching my ideas on a freelance basis to, you know, music blogs and local papers and, and that kind of stuff. And even the whole time that I was employed, so I was in full-time employment from after I graduated um, university all the way up until six years ago. And throughout that whole time, I did I would freelance alongside my work alongside my day job as um like within media organizations Uh, and then six years ago I went full-time freelance that is what I have been doing ever since then um at various points I've had contracts or kind of ongoing clients that really kind of skate on the border of is this just part-time work um but it has always I've uh, put it this way I've never been I don't have I haven't been paid by a PAYE since yeah. <laughs> since 2017. It's like the holiday whether you're getting holiday pay it's often and sick leave yeah. and all of the things like that. It's interesting to to talk about your industry um, and yet there is a distinction that you're saying you went properly freelance so what was what was what made you do that or what did that look like 
I got made redundant. So I often tell journalists that it's, and, and I joke about this, but really, if you don't laugh, you cry. Um, the state of, at the state of the media industry. Uh, I don't think it's a matter of if, but rather a matter of when you will lose a job in the media or, uh, or and or as a journalist. Uh, so I got made redundant from Vice in 2017. It was during, for anyone kind of, that is in any way kind of plugged into the media discourse it was during the pivot to video when all of the media companies decided to go in ham on video and uh the specific part of ice that i was working for one of their music verticals or sort of music um kind of publications within vice it got completely shut down along with some other sections some other kind of parts of vice um I got made redundant along with most of my colleagues and it was all because Vice is headquartered in America, even though I was in England at the time, um, this decision came from America and it was in that very American way of it happened on a Friday afternoon and it was, you know, that's it. Give us your laptop. Don't come back on Monday. Oh my God. Yeah. Uh, so it's all very dramatic. And over that weekend, my mom took me out for lunch and she was saying, oh, you know, take some time, think about what you want to do until your next, until you make your decision about next jobs. And then just out of my mouth came, I'm, I'm not unemployed. I'm self-employed. I'm freelance now. Mm. And Monday morning, I sat at my desk and was like, hello, I'm Mano. I'm a freelancer now. Um, <laughs> and I haven't looked back since. That's amazing. So it's always unconscious that that decision. Well, I did want to go freelance before that. So I had wanted. I had thought. I I thought that I wanted to go freelance, and I kind of had a vague plan of how to get there. Um, and I even had a little notebook that I found at some point when I was moving recently, which I had bought specifically, and I have. I've still kept it because it's such a beautiful artifact, and I bought that notebook in 2016 and I wrote on the first page Anna's big freelancing plan 2016 and I wrote why do I want to go freelance what do I hope to get out of it um you know how much money do I need to save how how am I going to get there so I in, and that's very me is to plan things like that mm -hmm. um who knows I, I often think about that sliding doors kind of if I hadn't had the rug pulled out from under me would I have done it you know or, or not I, I don't know I don't know like, but it sounds like it was a real catalyst and, and actually just before we started recording you were talking about like the push and pull factors of freelancing right so yeah a lot of people come to me and they say and and this is you know not just journalists but lots of people they'll come and they'll say oh I, I'm thinking about freelance about going freelance you know can, how did you know when to do it how did you do it you know demystify it and the first thing I try to, and I will ask them this directly and really try to get them to unpack this and figure this out for themselves. But I ask them if they are being pulled towards freelancing or being pushed or, or being pushed towards it, being pushed away from their current mm. job, job or work situation. And that is a real difference because actually you might, the catalyst for wanting to go freelance might be a crappy working environment. But the solution might not be working for yourself. The solution might be changing that work environment. 
it might be changing careers it might be moving into a different department in that existing organization you, you, i am very much someone who i will be quite extreme <laughs> so you know oh well this thing has gone wrong that's it i'm going to do the complete opposite now you know i'm i'm going to abandon this situation altogether i'm going to do the opposite um and that's not always the right, it's not always the right approach. I mean, as it so happened, this whole freelancing thing has worked out really well for me, but I do find that a lot of people actually, they don't really want to go freelance. There's just something in their situation that's not right. And it's absolutely fine. And they should explore all of their options, freelancing being one of them, but really kind of get real with themselves about uh, what they do want to do. Um, so that's something that I think is just really important to just come to terms with and try to understand because um freelancing is great for the right people yeah what do you think people are attracted to when they think they want to be a freelancer so if i remember from my kind of list it was around it was mainly around for me it was about the flexibility and and there's many layers to that so there is the I don't want to have to, I don't want to have to work at set hours. I want to be able to set my own schedule. Mm. Um, and I also, honestly, for me, such a big driver was was the not wanting to be in the office environment. And, and again, it's important to remember that, you know, this was pre, this was pre pandemic by a long shot. This was, it was in a time which actually is crazy because it was only six years ago, but even six years ago, hybrid working, and, and it's particularly within something like journalism was absolutely unheard of. No one was a remote worker. Wow. Um, other than, of course, the foreign correspondents. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the people who, you know, if you're working in the, you know, if you're a music journalist in working for Vice, you are either based in New York or you're based in London. You know, there's no remote, there's no remote uh, kind of, there's, there's nothing remote about that. So a big part of it was I just did not suit office. I, mean, I just don't, I, I'm just not suited for offices. It's just doesn't work for me. Um, so I did, I wanted to be working from home. Uh, I also wanted flexibility in, in my actual work. I, I really do thrive off of variety and both in terms of the focus of my work so again as a journalist you know you tend to cover what's known as beats which are basically topics so that might be um that might be culture or arts or business or housing or whatever um and i do i have covered so many beats over my career because and they're kind of not that i there isn't really a common thread to them um which is partly because those were just the jobs that i could find but also I just have different interests yeah. and there's change and I need to be able to do work that allows for that mm. change to happen. And then also the actual, the actual sort of day to day that, you know, sometimes I want to podcast, sometimes I want to write news, sometimes I want to experiment with this newfangled format called a newsletter. And mm -hmm. sometimes I want to write an old school, long form magazine article. So I just felt that, you know, if I was to write my dream job description, I just couldn't, I didn't see that reflected anywhere in a more traditional job structure. And also I think what's something that I have only learned sort of retros, sort of retrospectively since going freelance is 
I am just as motivated by the creative side of what I do. So the actual writing mm. as I am by the entrepreneurial side, awesome. I like, I like solving. I like, I do like the sort of business part of what I do. Um, I, I like, I mean, I don't know. It's not that I enjoy doing sort of, it's not that I enjoy writing my invoices, but I, I'm absolutely fine with that. I'm comfortable with the spreadsheet. I like thinking about, business side of it just as much as I do the creative side and if if you have absolutely no interest whatsoever or you're completely allergic to to any kind of business admin or any of that kind of stuff this is this is just not for you because freelancing is it is a it is a tiny business of one yeah yeah and that's a really good point most people have the problem where they don't spend enough time on their business and too much time in it I have the opposite problem I can sometimes kind of like plan plan I love plan 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 strategize strategize oh actually shit I've forgotten to do the execution part <laughs> okay yeah that, I think it probably usually is the other way around isn't it <laughs> six years ago you've been freelance has it been always a joy have you felt like yes made this or have there ever been moments where you thought I'm gonna go and start this off for a bit Ah, uh, definitely. There have been some real low points. The pandemic, the shift, the pandemic triggered in terms of the rise of hybrid work mm. definitely contributed because now actually there are jobs that maybe perhaps are a bit more appealing. One thing I will say is I have never actually that's not true. That's <laughs> a slight slight. This there is a slight caveat to that, but I don't anyway. I've never really, I've never really been tempted by a full-time media job mm -hmm. so I've never been there was one job that this is a long story that's a bit of an outlier uh, I've not I've not gone seeking I've not been looking on jobs boards I've not been applying for media jobs that's just so not on my radar whereas interesting when I worked when I had full-time journalism jobs I always knew I was on those job boards all the time. I knew exactly kind of like so-and-so is hiring for this and there's an opening for that. I've got no idea what the jobs market for journalists looks like right now. I mean, I'm going to hazard a guess that it's quite bad, but I have no idea who's hiring and for what. Um, so I've never been tempted by that kind of job. Um, I have kind of thought about, um, I definitely went through a phase and I actually even explored it and did a lot of, you know, did talk, I talked to lots of people and, um, sort of followed the thread around mm, I think maybe I want to tap out of journalism and writing and the creator economy and the whole kind of space that I'm in altogether and take my skills and go elsewhere mm. um and I explored that and I guess again I was paying attention to what what am I looking for here and actually what I was looking for is some semblance of stability and kind of regularity mm. um so I explored that and then I also kind of I started talking to lots of people, lots of people doing different things and thought about, you know, I, I almost kind of went to people and who knew me, but weren't friends are kind of more these sort of professional contacts to be like, what kind of job do you think I could do? Um, and um, beyond the obvious, because obviously as a journalist, the obvious place to go is somewhere within marketing and communication. So, mm. you know, maybe. Um, PR or going into a marketing department or something like that so beyond the obvious you know what could I do um someone said I could be a chief of staff mm -hmm. which I thought was interesting um 
So um, like project management kind of came up. Uh, so there were all these things and I was like, okay, cool. And I just sort of like, yeah, I explored some things and then I don't really know what happened. I think, I think I kind of realized like, oh no, what the issue here is, is that I'm, I, I don't have, for me, I need to be financially and emotionally secure in order to do my best creative work. Mm -hmm. And what I realized is what I was looking for is some financial stability and to take a little break from doing all of my work in public. So like this, for example, mm. like this is, I, you know, this, this will be put out on the internet and most of the work that I do most, well, all of the creative work I do, it goes out into the world, yeah. either in a book format or as a podcast or like my actual face on Instagram <laughs> yeah. or, um, or as an article, of course. And that's great. But a, sometimes that invites, uh, uh critique which sometimes is in good faith sometimes is in bad faith sometimes that invites trolling um and even on the positive side kind of those sort of like dopamine hits of like 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 heart 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 um that's also not great either so i just wanted to take a bit of a step i realized i needed to just take a bit of a step back from public facing work or doing my work in public um and what I realized is actually the soul for me was just finding some regular freelance clients whose work didn't involve me doing any, it was just sort of behind closed doors, what n most normal people just call work. Yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, yeah, you know, they, they yeah, work um, and uh, pay me on a regular basis. And, and that actually was the solve. And, and that's, I think, one of the contributing factors to why I'm feeling joyful in my work, because um, that, that kind of solved that problem for me. I didn't need, again, comes back to the push and pull, what was really going on there. I felt like I was being pushed out of freelancing rather than I, I definitely wasn't being pulled towards UX writing. Thanks for sharing that because I think really getting to like what's the need here and I was hearing like that yeah this the financial security but also this need to not have to be on show and creating for others. De I've definitely had burnout from that where I'm like I can't like, I just want to kind of hide away for a bit and just be getting on with some stuff and not have to think about how everything's coming across. And I think financial instability probably is like the biggest pain in freelancing. I don't know if for you, if that has been, but certainly for me, the, you know, flexibility and authenticity have been like total wins, but the financial in irregularity and to, yeah, some moments of feeling quite unsafe actually and you know that it's not good for my nervous system and I wonder how you've dealt with that and what being your because you've written a book about this right did is this something that came up for you yes because I do think when you really boil down to really boil down the biggest pain points freelancers have they pretty much all come back to money mm. so either not making enough of it not getting paid on time not having a regular income and even if that also the other problem is that you know freelancing doesn't happen in a vacuum so even if you're making a really healthy annual income but you're getting paid in you know different you know you've got that what do they call it lumpy income yeah unfortunately everything else in your life does operate on a monthly basis your bills are fixed pretty much every month 
it's if you try to find financial advice around budgeting and all of this 95% of it is geared towards is based on the assumption that you're getting a fixed income every month yeah. it's like take your monthly salary and then put this much away it's like but I don't have one <laughs> exactly yeah exactly and so I I try to kind of work on a percentage basis so I try to kind of take percentages out of my mm. income but you know that that very you know that whole idea of oh you know just set up a direct debit to take out x amount every month that doesn't actually work if you're getting paid the way we, we get paid so that's been an ongoing struggle um and I mean honestly the only the only reason I feel like that's somewhat solved at the moment is the fact that I I do know that every month I get paid this minimum amount from these from the from clients because the way I have that structured is I'm on a retainer so they mm. pay me x x amount a month um it's taken kind of but to get to a place where you can get that kind of deal that's six years of freelancing that's not something I I always I kind of figure that I figure out pretty quickly that a retainer basis or a regular client or anchor client whatever you want to call them um would be something very sensible and very useful from a financial stability perspective or financial regularity perspective. Um, but it's not that easy to find that work. But I think it, you, you said earlier that your creative work suffers when you feel like there's financial instability. And I, I mean, it really does seem like the best model to know that you've got costs covered but yeah, still have a lot of flexibility to be creative and be autonomous. But I think so many people that I see jump into from full-time work to no income or very little or sporadic. And then, yeah, surprise, surprise, find it hard to then be creative or to come up with ideas. Or It's very, very, very draining. And we need, you know, the kind of Maslow hierarchy of needs in order to do that, like self-actualization, creativity. We need so much support. It's actually the bouncing off that stability that allows the creativity. And sometimes I think people think the full-time work is the reason they're not doing more, but actually it's the reason they're doing any. It, exactly, exactly. I remember you wrote an article and it was why I now get people to pay me to have coffee with me. Can you share a bit about that? Because I think this is also such an interesting part of freelancing of like what, how we like charge for our time or like what's seen as just like part of life. Like it's so blurred when you're it's in really a job, blurred. it's very clear. So yeah, what? tell me about that article yeah. and what that was about. Um, it definitely had a, a spi quite a spicy headline, but it was something along, along the lines of why I charge people to get coffee with me. Yeah. And um so the premise of it is basically pushing back against the, you know, can I pick your brains question. Mm. So I hate the I hate being asked, can I pick your brains? Because normally it's coming from someone who knows that they're asking for something that they should really should be paying for. So I get, and I, this is, luckily I, this happens less frequently now, but I went through a phase of when I wrote this piece that um, I was doing a lot of work in the, kind of freelance business space so obviously I wrote, wrote the book but I also did a lot of campaigning work around freelancers rights and that this raised my profile um and I about people being paid on time was there stuff about that yes which is then now which is ironic considering what kind of happened next <laughs> um 
But then I would hear from so many startup founders um, or people kind of, you know, yes, yeah, specifically startup founders who have had got wind of the fact that the freelance market is booming um, or was booming. This was again, pre-pandemic. Uh, and they wanted to pick my brains about their latest product aimed at freelancers, which is a free consulting session, basically. Uh, which I know because I have been approached to do stuff like that and have been paid as a consultant to provide that kind of insight. So I was getting quite frustrated with this. And so I just started pushing back and saying, yeah, sure, we can have a talk. These are my, this is consulting work. This mm -hmm. is my fee. Nine times out of 10, the person would say like, oh, no, no, I just wanted to do this for free or, you know, exposure or whatever the uh, kind of, um the the answer was but it's it's really hard because the problem is is that that's not to say i never want to help people and i said this in the article of course this just happened last week someone i wrote an article i wrote an, a newsletter post about how i make how i made my money in the first quarter of 2023 as a freelance writer and one of my readers wrote back and they actually asked you know they said oh how much would it cost for, for me to have a like a consultation with you about freelancing um and uh, I said, not, not, let's just, don't pay me, let's just talk. Yeah. Um, and this was someone who's a fairly recent graduate and we had a really good chat about where they were at and where they were trying to get to. And um, he prepared loads of questions and it was a really good chat and absolutely want to help people like that for free. Uh, and, you know, mentoring, whether it's informal or not, I, you know, that can all be done pro bono. But when my time is being filled up mm. by people who want to ask me for stuff that's going to materially help mm -hmm. their business decisions and not respect my time or expertise. And then on top of that, there is the layer that they've only found me through campaigning around the mistreatment yes. of freelancers. And then they're so, yeah, that's kind of so that's it. It's about just how yeah, it's about having those boundaries, because, again, you know, so like. Was that is that Adam Grant who very famously wrote that book a few years ago about um, you know the importance of giving and saying yes and the way to get ahead is to give as much time as possible. Um, I think it was Adam Grant and there was a really brilliant piece in the New York Times at the um, when this at the time a really nice big profile of him and on the whole it was uh, pretty positive and really interesting. But it did point out that he has a wife who handles most of the childcare mm -hmm. and that he's in a tenured professor position. So it's just a very, it's about the context of which, of where, of how, of our time and resources. Yeah. Do you, so as a freelancer, I, I really don't think we should be thinking of our time as money, but mm -hmm. you kind of, it kind of is. So it is about when you're asking someone for something, I do think it's important to be mindful yeah. of the context. It's I, I love what you said about, you know, with the um, grads and where, I don't know, when I get requests like that, I sit with it and go, do I feel resentful helping this person? Like, does it feel like I'm, does it feel like they're taking the piss? Or would it feel weird if I charge them? It's almost like, with, and you know, sometimes I get people like, I'd love to just chat about, you know, doing kind of portfolio career stuff or, you know, I want to start creating like some, similar to my ukulele or I want to get into comedy. Like 
I I really benefited from chatting to people when I was starting my own work and I had so many amazing sessions and I do see there as like a a kind of circular giving back and yet when strangers are actually when it is you're providing a service I think you can feel that distinction I think it's so important to have both to have like the altruism and really seeing like who we can help but also really be boundaried about actually that's a service and and the thing I do as well is if I feel I have helped someone for free often I will then like make it into a blog post or something or I'll like not not name them but I might be like oh what 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 actually was the advice I was giving them because that's it's almost becoming I find through having those conversations I'm aware of what I know which I don't know if you find that when someone picks your brains you're like oh yeah like I actually know loads about this I should probably like and, and that's the way I've kind of seen it as a positive for me as well like that I can gain some insight you know into mm. what I know by by helping mm. someone yeah I um I know of people who and I've been meaning to do this who kind of have an FAQs mm. or they get ga they gather all of the questions they're commonly asked and they put them out there but the, there is something because I'm also aware that I'm definitely still have a lot of my career left but I'm not a recent grad and yet I also have people who are those th three steps ahead who I want to reach out to sometimes do so there and there and those are people whose work I know really well but there is something about having that half an hour with someone I think for me I guess the key is that the people whose pick your brain questions I respond to are people who actually never use that phrase right what would they say and, instead? <laughs> well they just you know they'll, they'll they'll be very specific in their ask you know they'll say okay look I read your book and here are these questions that I still have or this is why I'm coming to you and, and they demonstrate how their problem is not something that can be googled or could be answered by reading or or consuming the work you've already put out there so I think that just it shows that it shows that respect of the other person's time yeah. and it shows why it shows why you're the only person who can they have a very specific question that only you can answer for them so there's almost a flattery or, or a personalization of it as well if mm. someone emails you like you don't know anything about me you've literally just it's that feeling of they've actually taken a bit of care in this request yep. yeah um i also wanted to mention you you have a very successful newsletter and you quit it for a while and then it kind of has come back in other forms can you share a bit about that yeah i uh someone said someone said it's very millennial to do a dramatic to, to walk back a dramatic exit which was the permission <laughs> i needed to hear so yeah i started so again it's very tied to my freelancing journey i started a newsletter that exactly one week after i got made redundant so in my first week of being freelance i decided to start a newsletter and I didn't really have a plan for it. All I knew is that I like to receive newsletters. And I had once heard the journalist Anne Friedman talk about the whose newsletter I was already reading at the time, talk about the fact that she got made redundant from her media job. And she started a newsletter as a way to, as an excuse to, to be able to regularly email editors, mm. just to remind them of her existence. Oh, that's great, yeah. And so I started a newsletter and I just I said in that very first one that, you know, I've been made redundant. I've decided to give freelancing a try. I don't know what's going to happen, but I'm going to write about it here and, you know, figure out what, what I'm doing next. And um, 
I wrote about lots of different things in those early newsletters, but the thing that seemed to just really take on, on a life of its own was when I talked about the experience of going freelance. Mm. Um, there weren't really that many people doing that. And I knew that from the fact that when I was, when I had been thinking about going freelance, I was searching every corner of the internet to find stuff. And I couldn't really find anything beyond the, there is kind of this sort of, corner of the internet where there are a lot of writing coaches who seem to charge a lot of money to help people build a kind of writing career that they love but they seem to have made their money through the teaching of the writing yeah, rather than plastic. the doing of the writing and it I doesn't makes it's not a pyramid scheme but it's some some shape that's a bit dodgy um <laughs> so I I don't know. So I couldn't really find anyone just being honest and talking about like the highs and lows. So I just started writing about that stuff and it just, it really found its audience and it just kind of took off. Um, and then at some point I, I started it on MailChimp and at some point I hit the number, the maximum number before they start, MailChimp starts charging you. So I moved it over to Substack. I played around with monetizing it. Um, and then basically what happened is I which is a bit ironic is that one of the big reasons I got that it was the birthplace of the idea for the book mm. and very much helped in the getting of the book deal. But then I really struggled with, okay, I've written a whole book about freelancing. I don't, and, and specifically like advice about freelancing yeah. and the direction the newsletter was going in was that I was becoming a freelance, not coach, but kind of, expert it was, yeah and also like a business on there, there there is there would have been a very successful business in teaching other freelancers how to freelance but that just that's not the business for me basically yeah. for many reasons like you didn't was not interesting for you or Ooh. it just took me further away from to do that successfully you turn that into a business yeah and it takes you and for me it was there's a big distinction between here I am being a freelance journalist trying to make it work and writing about it versus I'm going to teach you now how to be a successful freelancer. Yes. It's a completely different job. Yeah. And it's a completely different job. And so, and I couldn't figure out a way to make, to kind of separate these two things. I also couldn't, I also honestly was, I just written 70,000 words about how to freelance. I, it's not that I'd run out of things to say about freelancing, but I was kind of sick of writing about freelancing. So I couldn't figure out what to do with the newsletter. Then also there was the pandemic that had took a massive toll on that had a massive financial impact on the newsletter because um, a big part of when I did monetize my newsletter, a big part of the offering was around live events. So that and anyway, the whole thing just it was just all, all a bit of a shit show, basically. But um, were you monetizing from subscriptions or ads? mainly through subscriptions i'd yeah. sort of experimented with lots of different options but the bulk of the income was coming from subscriptions so then last june i sent out this newsletter saying um that's it i'm done i don't want to do this anymore and that felt good but then pr pretty quickly response. yeah it got a huge response it got a huge response it, so many people kind of either wrote to me privately or uh, or left comments publicly um, it got a huge response. Lots of people also, which I really loved, and I think you'll really like this, is people talked about how the importance of quitting and knowing when is the right time to quit 
uh, particularly creative projects. Um, but within three months, I was miss I missed it, yeah. and and then um, basically, I just quietly brought the whole thing back, <laughs> and I've, I've been writing it again. To be honest, I do remember that email. Now I get them again, and I'm like, oh yeah. Well, I, I, st- I didn't. I didn't. I didn't make a big deal about just bringing them back because the, the reality is, yeah. no, no one knows the intimacy of your career and the day-to-day of your work as much as you do. Yeah. There will be people on that, because there are 17,000 readers on that list. Incredible. There will be people who would have missed that email saying bye. <laughs> and they just, they were none the wiser. They're just, they're just like, oh, she was gone for a bit and now she's back. So I, know, I had a friend the other day being like, oh, I haven't sent a, a newsletter for six months. I was like, oh, I didn't notice. She was like, yeah. really? Like, I was like, oh, sorry. I just, if you don't see it, you don't notice the absence necessarily. Exactly. And so I kind of quietly brought it back. I've definitely, I I did, I have kind of thought, okay, if I'm actually going to do this, what would it look like? Um, But I'm also just being a lot gentler with Mm. the whole thing. Um, And uh, yeah, who knows what will happen? Who who knows what will, um, well, one of the big changes is that I'm thinking of it in seasons. So mm. why don't we have seasons for newsletters? We have seasons for podcasts. Why do we have to pump out a I newsletter every such week? such an interesting phenomenon. Oh, so, yeah. Um, but I'm not saying how long the seasons are. <laughs> but you'll feel it. I mean, what I'm sensing yeah. from you is you were, you were, you've been writing, you needed a break from writing, need a break from creating this content, this, and yet it seemed like there would be only option for you is to stop the whole thing because there hadn't been yet this tradition around like no one would stop their podcast they'd probably just be like oh we'll take a break for a bit but yeah with newsletters it's I think that's amazing to to talk about it like that I think that would be so supportive for so many writers and and actually I don't know if you feel comfortable to share about your podcast that you were talking about and like how you're thinking about that at the moment so the yeah the podcast is really interesting but so one 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 just I just want to make a point on the newsletter as well, yeah. which is that when you're starting a newsletter or starting any kind of public facing creative work that you you do need a bit of consistency in the early days. Mm-hmm. But I've been writing this thing now for nearly six years. So now I can afford to be a bit inconsistent with it. But when I first started, I did push out. I did write it every week. And I do think when you start out, whether it's weekly, every other week or monthly, I think you do need to make a commitment to yourself and to your readers about when they can expect this thing. And also just to get used to it. Yeah. Um, you can you can change that up after a while, but you kind of need that at the beginning. And then on top of that, I do think the which I think is I think it's brilliant that newsletters are pre- presenting a way, um, you know, you can monetize newsletters really easily through things like Substack um, or Patreon or, you know, whatever, obviously primarily through Substack with newsletters. However, because it's on a monthly or it, because it's a subscription model that only feeds the beast, that only feeds this idea that you need, even if you're not doing it for free, there's a there's a wider ecosystem of newsletters that are kind of going on pretty regular drumbeat. And this sort of advice that Substack put out is that you need to be publishing at least once a week. That's kind of creating that sort of a sort of an overall environment um, Mm-hmm. where people feel that that they need to be sort of pushing stuff out um so but yes with the podcast i co-host a podcast called is this working and with um 
my dear friend Tiffany Philippou, who's been on this podcast yeah. before, <laughs> and um, it's all about work culture. And we started it before the pandemic, and we've made I can't remember now four, maybe four seasons, five seasons, and we haven't released an episode since last January. And we haven't stopped the podcast. We are just in between seasons, but it's been a really long gap between those seasons. Mm. And Tiffany and I, we are very close both personally and professionally. And we talk a lot and we work on other creative projects and we have been talking about bringing the podcast back for months, but we just haven't, it just hasn't happened. And I just think it's a reality of the fact that it's, it is it we want we really want it to be a priority but it's just not and i don't think either of us can articulate why not but it's just not happening and um i think it will again happen um but yeah it's lying dormant however i don't feel guilty about it because of this because partly because of this season thing mm. and also it's partly because there's someone else in it with me so we can talk about, you know, we have, you know, we have this intention, but it's not working and we can, we have, there's someone else in this, in this thing with me. Um, but yeah, there's not, and also no one's really, <laughs> I, it's not like people are demanding anything of me. Um, but I think it's such an interesting thing with stuff you start, especially when it's involved with someone else of like, well, what's the difference between stopping it and just not working on it? And like, does it take energy from you for it to still kind mm. of be dormant? Like, do you notice that you want a resolution or does it feel quite, we'll just see what comes up? It definitely has felt in the past I've wanted a resolution, but at the moment it's not, it's really not bothering me. Mm. Whereas the newsletter, it bothered me when it, when I hadn't made a decision about what to do with it. And then I felt really good when I sent that email saying it's over, but then it started to bother me again and I started yeah. to miss it. Yeah. So maybe the, new the newsletter is always going to bother me one way or another. But for example, I was planning to send one today and I'm not going to now because I just haven't, you know, things have happened. Mm. Meh. Like, yeah, it is what it is. But I think what you were saying about building a consistency and then allowing some slack I think makes a lot of sense the way you've articulated that is really um really helpful for people starting out with freelance careers yeah getting something in a rhythm getting something so that it feels easy as well because I think having to suddenly have full autonomy over your time that's another thing that can be a blessing and a curse or people want when you were saying at the start what is it people want People say, oh, God, it would be so nice to just, like, manage my own time. But that can also be so tiring and overwhelming. So to have these things, like, every Friday I write a newsletter. Well, that every... was one of the, that was yeah. one of the, that was one of the big drivers of that, of, of the very beginning, was it was Monday, and I was thinking, oh, crap, what if I don't get any commissions? And so, okay, I'm going to start this newsletter. And then every Friday, I have to send this thing every lunchtime on a Friday. I, it was a self-imposed deadline. Mm. I mean, I am also, I'm someone who, um, I'm uh, on the Gretchen Rubin kind of expectations thing. I, I, meet my inner, I meet my inner expectations more readily than I meet outer expectations. So if something is important to me, 
basically I'm one of those people who doesn't need to go, I don't need to exercise in an exercise class. I can exercise without accountability. Uh Um, Or like I can do stuff. You're self-motivated. Self, self self-motivated, yeah. Lucky you, um, Anna. (laughs) Well, yes, but that's not, I mean, you know, we all... uh, I highly recommend. Have you read that book, the um, the Four Tendencies? The Obliger is there that one and Obliger, Upholder, Questioner, and Rebel. So mm. it's it's there's two types of expectations, inner ones or outer ones. So whether um, it's uh, the example that often is used is uh, around New Year's resolutions, whether or not you keep them. Um, so it's yeah, it's about whether or not you meet inner or outer expectations, mm. and if you meet. So I'm a questioner because I meet inner expectations, but I don't meet outer expectations. If you meet neither inner nor outer, you're a rebel. Uh, if you meet, then the obliger, I think, will meet inner ex- out. out, meet outer. outer. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So it's anyway. Mm, uh, it's very, it's very, it's very, very interesting. It's one of these few. It's not a personality test. It's just this very specific element of of yeah. people. It's a te- like this tendency framework. Yeah. Absolutely fascinating. But anyway, so that. Is, yeah. That's all to say that um, I, if if I said I said to myself this thing is important to me, this creating this newsletter is important to me, sending it on a Friday lunchtime is important to me. I was able to stick to that drumbeat, mm. and it was very much a way to anchor my time because on that Monday I was staring down the barrel of this long week without you know any work yet i mean yes i had i had work in emailing people to ask to pitch stuff but takes a while to kind of get that rhythm going um so it's nice to have a creative project which you don't have to ask anyone permission for which is all off your own back to work on and yeah and how quickly did you build up those numbers that's incredible um so i started i got to 2000 within a year how do you yeah. think people were finding you? They were forwarding the newsletter. Mm. There were four people were forwarding it to their freelance friends. Mm. That's in it's that's that's still kind of what happens. People forward my newsletter, which like that's just the biggest compliment. Yeah. That like I've invaded your me a stranger has invaded your inbox and that you have not only liked what I said, but enough to forward to then pass it into someone else's inbox um so uh yeah I mean it's I think also I just landed on something that was kind of niche enough but also uh still kind of because I do hear from a lot I mean I love it when people tell me I read your newsletter and I'm not a freelancer and also I have now kind of evolved I do talk I talk more broadly about work than just mm-hmm. I mean obviously you talk a lot about freelancing but I do I talk now I'm just more interested in sort of work and emotions with work emotions exactly the one you wrote wrote about like I think you called it like publication anti-climax or I thought it was productivity productivity dysmorphia no it was about when you published your book and you were like oh it was a bit of an anti-climax oh yeah I wrote like it was like publishing a book is weird yeah yeah I was I just I really appreciate your I think you've got a great mix of obviously you're an amazing writer and journalist and you've got your stats and stuff, but there's a real, there's a risk in some of them of like, I'm going to open up here. And the one, you know, obviously the classic about sharing your earnings, which I noticed this time you've decided it's just for paid members, which I thought was very interesting as well, which is actually honoring, hey, this is quite 
big information, I'm going to also respect that only some people can have access to that. Why did you decide to share your earnings? I do really believe in pay transparency. And I have actually publicly shared my earnings in my newsletter before. Yeah, that's it. Was before, a, wasn't a, cup, a couple of years ago, I did say, you know, this is how much I made. This is how much revenue I made. This is how it broke down. And I and that piece was full of so many caveats. And yet people it's. It's so hard to talk about money and it's so hard to. No matter how you frame it it never is going to be received how you intended. And so I just wanted to put a bit of, well, in, in paywalling it, I was actually able to go a lot deeper than I mm. would have done anyway. Um, and I just felt a bit more comfortable because I have, what I do, so I have, I have had a couple of experiences where not necessarily officer, has it been stuff? partly stuff I've written off in my newsletter, but mainly things I've written for other publications, which have been critiqued in what I think is quite bad faith and have been kind of like, my stuff has sort of been the subject of like various kind of like hot take oh. pieces. And um, that in the, on the one hand, it's part of, it's sort of part of the job. But then on the other hand, I don't, I think that some of the kind of, Obviously, I would say this, but the arguments those pieces have hinged on, I think, are straw man arguments. Mm. So, like, I just don't think that, like, it's not, it's not constructive. It's not critique. It's just a. Yeah. Like, it's just a hot take. And that's made me kind of more. It's just made me, like, think twice about. I just, I do kind of, I now do overthink what I put out, mm. but it's also given me this kind of like, it has also, and I don't think this is a good thing. It has also given me a bit of a, like, it's like made my edges a bit spikier. Mm. Cause like part of like, you know, there's a world in which you can construe like, okay, she's going to talk about, well, I do, I stand by the fact that I think that piece I put out just to kind of give context, it's quite a long piece that has breaks down my uh, quarterly earnings of this year. And what is freely available is quite an in-depth analysis of the different revenue streams that made me money and what percentage those revenue streams made up of the total money that I made in that quarter. And some like, I talk about how I get that work. And then I also talk about dormant revenue streams mm -hmm. and all of that. And then the actual figures and the little bit more kind of analysis is uh, including, and those figures in, are revenue, costs, and profit. Mm -hmm. And then uh, overall, and then also kind of like the, you know, the um, total amount for each of those different kind of revenue streams, that's only available to paying subscribers. And so like, there is a bit of a kind of like, you want to see the money like pay kind of element to mm -hmm. it. Um, also, you want to see these figures, like, you're going to have to like, incentive, isn't yeah, it, for people yeah. to sign up. So, and like, I do think there's like, there's a bit of spikiness to that that I'm aware of. And that I think is, yeah, I don't know. It's like, as your skin thickens on the internet, it does kind of like, I don't know, like I am like, I'm an earnest person. I'm like a sensitive person. So it, it's, there's a bit of friction there. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like kind of being, like being dragged online, whether it's on Twitter or kind of like, uh you know when like 
or in the main mainstream media it's like it sucks it really sucks <laughs> so I, I really stand by your decision to do that and I think you were still incredibly generous and let us in even to see the percentages like what an amazing what amazing insight that we hardly ever get and I think this is for people who are freelance you know just even knowing what it could look like is is amazing because I think being freelance like it could mean so many different things you have people who are freelance and basically have a full-time job don't they like let's yep. be honest and there's other people who are I mean people say to me what's your typical week look like I'm like I don't have one every week is totally different and that's kind of how I like to live but it also isn't that helpful for someone who's starting mm. freelancing although it could be helpful for someone to hear oh okay I can be it can be like unpredictable or it can be more you know working with the seasons or like you know, I know that in the summer, I'm more into go to my festivals and I have less kind of delivery work. And then at other times, here it's much busier and I'm doing less creative stuff. But that's taken like a decade to get those rhythms. So mm. people starting, it's like, who knows? And and some people are really lucky and they kind of start and they get a client. You know, like you were talking about the the kind of having that, um, what did you call it? Like a, like a retainer client. You're or, a retainer, yeah. Yeah. The an there's an anchor um, client. I think that's quite an American term, yeah, like an anchor mm -hmm. client that's that sort of main, reliable, yeah. yeah. And some people get that very quickly and it's like, oh, yeah, kind of really go into the flow. But again, that that might not be right for everyone. Or So, yeah, I just think that the transparency you gave, even on the percentages, is so helpful and insightful and and sometimes can be a bit, um, just can be a bit of relief for people to go, oh, okay, like, that's that's probably you know I'm not far off that or like okay I, yeah like I'm I can see myself in that or mm. I could get that wow I couldn't know oh, I could earn that kind of money from from a podcast or you know mm. we don't talk about these things so no one really knows what they could even do <laughs> yeah exactly exactly yeah quit Cool. So we're starting to come to the end. And I suppose, you know, going back to our topic of knowing when to quit freelancing or start it, like, what would you say to people listening who are thinking about becoming freelancers? Like, what is almost like, like, don't become a freelancer if, what would you, how would you complete that sentence? Don't become a freelancer if you have zero interest in, in the business side of freelancing. Mm -hmm. And it, there is a distinction between, you know, there are lots of annoying things about freelancing, you know, chasing late payments and all of those things. That's not right. Those things are not right and they shouldn't happen, but they do. But even in a perfect, you know, even if you're, all your invoices are getting paid on time and all of these things, you're going to need to put money for tax aside. You're going to need to get your head around self-assessment. It's obviously all in the UK, but I think the same applies pretty much anywhere in the world. You're going to need to find a system for keeping track of your invoices and your expenses. You're probably going to need to do some form of strategy or marketing and stuff like that. That is part of it. So if that's just of absolutely no interest, um, then I think it's a bit unrealistic. Particularly, I'm particularly thinking of creatives because I think a lot of creatives think freelancing maybe is a way to sort of free themselves from the shackles of, of a sort of corporate style job but there will still be an element of that that there'll still be a business element to it and then again I think ask, answering this question of are you being pulled towards it or pushed 
or being or being pushed towards it or kind of being pushed away from your current situation i think it's really important to sort of um grapple with that mm. but then um i also think just like if you can just be really try it out alongside what you're doing and of course it's never going to be a perfect test because being full-time freelance is very different to freelancing from the security of a job but can you start freelancing on the side can you go to part can you go down to part-time is there a way to dip your toe in um and see what it's like yeah or even just the idea of having like a regular thing that you output just see how how do you find motivating yourself to to create a weekly newsletter or you know if you're a singer like having a track you release once a month like even just the the, the uh, kind of way of like it being on your own terms no one asking for it mm. does that like if that's not working for you that's going to be really hard to motivate yourself full-time yeah and I loved your question that you asked at the beginning around like well, what I guess it's like what's the need that's that's not being met here by wanting to yeah. be a freelancer and do you need to completely leave everything or is there like, is it about shifting jobs, shifting careers or taking a break? You know, you show with your newsletter. It's like actually sometimes just having, is it, do you just need to go and have a holiday for a bit and then be like, actually, yeah. And I think it's just being, there's, there's such good things about being freelance, but it is hard and it's, ex and there, there can be a feeling of, um, I don't know, it's not, people often just look at the freedom and I think you're, you're so right to name like the, um, the building blocks are needed around it. Like it is quite a admin heavy can be quite admin heavy or can be quite like yeah it needs some strategy it needs some thought it's not just about having like free time to do whatever you want mm. yeah those pic those pictures of the freelancer on the laptop next to the pool in bali look really it's that's that's propaganda <laughs> <laughs> um what's your favorite thing about being freelancing the freelancer being a freelancer though Ooh. Uh, it's it is the autonomy it's mm. not having to ask anyone permission really i mean obviously of course when you're doing client work you still have to you're doing you know you've got to do that properly but i don't have to fill in a i don't have to fill in an annual leave request form or use some piece of software be forced into using some hr portal <laughs> be made to go into an office you know you know the best thing about being freelance is when i've had a really bad night's sleep mm. and i've woken up and i feel like shit and i'm like i'm just gonna go back to sleep for another yeah. two or three hours and i don't have to drag myself into work and it's all fine. And then I recover so much faster. Mm. And I don't have to sit. I don't clock watch anymore. Yeah. Going against your own rhythm. Going with your own rhythm, sorry. is so, yeah. Such a big thing, isn't it? Like getting the right sleep. Getting the right, just, yeah, taking time. And even like with us recording this podcast, you know, we've had to rearrange a few times. But it doesn't matter because that's doesn't that's matter. the flexibility. And there's no kind of like, oh, well, you know, you've missed an appointment or one of us is, you know, I think... I really loved how we could practice kind of one of the positives of freelancing with even how we arranged this. Um, well, we're doing and but also doing stuff like this is one of the things I love. I get to mm. pick my colleagues. Yeah. I get to, you know, I've made such amazing friends through freelancing. I yeah. do creative work. I do these really fun projects. I get to sit and just I mean, I love talking. I love it. It's one of my favorite pastimes. <laughs> and this is 
part of my work to yeah. kind of call call this work it just blows my mind yeah absolutely and I, you know we haven't even got on to like how you create a um how you keep yourself like connected as a freelancer but obviously that is another topic as well of like that can be a challenge as a freelancer and you really have to intentionally find your networks although I think post-pandemic I don't see that there's so much distinction anymore between the office job like people don't really have colleagues anyway a lot of the time mm. even if they work in full-time jobs but I do think yeah being intentional about finding communities and and but, but choosing who you want to be in your community is really amazing yeah exactly okay. So what would you like to plug at the end of this? Probably my newsletter. So if you search my name, Anna Codrerado, I'm the only Anna Codrerado in the world. So That's so cool. I know. Um, <laughs> so you, you'll find all my stuff if you just put that in Google. But my I'm on Substack. So, um, and I'll put it in the show yeah. notes as well. Yeah. Amazing. Awesome, Anna. Thank you so much. It was really great chatting to you about this. And obviously your book as well, You're the Business. People can still buy that. They can still and buy they, that. And yep. the catalogue of, um, is this working? Yes. It yeah. actually gives people a chance to catch up before the next season is out. Yeah, exactly. And a lot of the things we talked about, I think, are relevant there. They're kind of evergreen. So Nice. Thank you so much. Thank you. Beating of the drum, the beating of the drum, the beating of the like, the beating of the drum, the beating of the drum, the beating of the drum, the beating of the like, the beating of the drum, the the waters wash, let them show you. Let the waters wash, let them show you. Let the waters wash, let them show you. Let the waters wash, let them show you.